This is a Color Pencil Podcast, session number 53. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a colored pencil podcast where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts, Lisa Clow and John Middick. Hello, my name is John Middick, and I am joined once again by my co-host, Lisa Clow. I rececognize that Pilates ball over there bouncing. Can you hear it? No, I can't Because I'm totally sitting here bouncing on it right now. <laughs> You're always saying that, but I, I, ne- I never hear it. And we're, and we're not video. We don't, we don't turn on the video, so we don't see each other. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, all right. So this is a show about the art of colored pencil, where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencil and the artist. So, Lisa... What are we talking about today? We are answering some of our listeners' questions. No, that wasn't right. We are answering some of the questions our listeners have sent in. Not my questions this time? No, I worded that so you couldn't say that. So, (laughs) yeah. I I like that little If you say a joke maybe 10 times, it makes it funnier, I heard. Okay, so (laughs) Pat writes... I have a YouTube account and other social media accounts that is personal and meant for my friends and family. But I want to start another channel for only my art. How do I do that? Hey, you're going to log into your YouTube channel. This is super easy. Log into YouTube. You're going to see a little circle with your icon at the upper right-hand corner. Click that. And down at the bottom, you're going to see a button for Add Account and then follow the directions. You're going to have to create a new account if you haven't already, but there's an option for that as well. It's super easy. And I love that you want to create a separate account. I think this is so important. I see so often on social media channels where people are putting a bit too much information out there, private, you know, stuff that should have been kept off social media anyway. But some of the stuff that makes them look like terrible business people, Stuff that is so inappropriate where you're like, why would you post that on an account that you know you've got other artists following you, you've got clients, and they're reading now about all of your drama that is, you know, the swearing and the... They got the public and the private mixed yeah, up. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's frightening. But they're yes, publicly I, challenged. <laughs> I Privately love, challenged. I love that you are creating, that you're aware that you do need two separate accounts. Super easy to do. Again, right-hand corner, drop that down when you click on it, hit add account, and then just follow the direction. But good call on on separating those. Yeah, and you can make your your YouTube account the the one that you don't want out there for everyone else to click on. You can make it private and um, and just hidden, right, Lisa? Yeah. I think it's hidden, isn't it? Um, yeah. you just well, the videos can be listed as private. private or unlisted. Private, yeah. If they're or, unlisted, oh, you know what? Good. That's yeah. That's probably what you want to do is unlisted. I I did. Yeah, this you just want to go through your settings when you're uploading account. a video. You have the option to to mark them whether they be private, public, or unlisted, or even scheduled. If it's something like with me with my videos, they're all scheduled to go live at certain times. So you've got those four options. Okay, so on Facebook, though, um, you know, that, that one's kind of a tricky one because your personal account, uh, it's, 
you know, you, you can decide as an individual artist, you can decide, you know, I'm going to make my Facebook personal page, my art page as well, or you can create a new uh, page. And that's what I would recommend doing. Just create a new page for uh, your art business. That's where you can give updates over there yeah. and then make the and You can post things over on your personal uh, Facebook page. You can make those private or only send to friends and family and only accept friends' requests from fr- friends and, and family that's something if you want to do that. Yeah, be aware of what you're doing on Facebook because it, kind of a general rule, nothing is private on the internet. You put it on the internet, people are going to see it. I have people that request, friend yeah. request me all the time. So I've got, you know, a good 2,000-something friends on my personal page on Facebook, for whatever reason. I think it's mostly it's a slippery of the slope. You, yeah, you it's have a slippery to, slope. You if you decide to start friending people. So here's the thing. You've got your personal page and you've got your, your art page. One of the things is if you're going to join a lot of groups on Facebook, you've got to use a personal account to post in those. You can't post from yeah, your, that's true. your group page. That's a good point. So people are going to see you. If I post in a colored pencil group, they can now look up my profile and see things that I've written. I mean, you can change them so they're private or not, but most people don't remember to do that. Yeah, because I Facebook see, makes it such a pain yeah, to, to make I, things private every time you post. And I want to make put this out there as a giant warning. If you are a business, you are trying to be an artist and have people take you seriously, do not post private private things online, um, whether it be language. A lot of people, the switch, like really bad language over the top, um, that doesn't belong. On, that doesn't make you look very professional. If you're trying to get clients, because people ask all the time, well, how do I get sales through Facebook? Well, first, you st- have to stop acting like a sailor or speaking like a sailor, I should say, um, clean up the language, be aware of how you look to an outsider. Your friends and family may totally get you, but if you're trying to sell things on Facebook and you're posting in groups and this and that, people are going to see that private page. So even though you're thinking, oh, it's my private wall, I can do whatever I want. You're also a business. You're a brand. People are going to say that, see the stuff that you're posting there, whether it be, I mean, people will post really harsh things. They're going through a divorce. They're going through different things and post really horrible things about the other person that doesn't belong on Facebook. Besides the legal issues that you could get in, don't don't do that. But the, right. I mean, these things well, do not make you look very professional, and it's going to make it a lot harder for you to get the business that you're hoping to get. If you have a day job or night job or whatever, if you're working a job, a lot of companies, the HR department will. Uh, look at your uh, Facebook posts. Mm-hmm. And so think of it like that. I mean, you're a professional and you may not have an HR department looking over your shoulder, but you know, the whole world is your audience and your HR department. And so think about the image that you're projecting and the type of person that you want to portray yourself to be. You and can mold and just, craft that. Just something to think about too. I know somebody who does work in HR and somebody at this company was doing a workers' comp claim. The people who dealt with workers' comp contacted the person in HR and wanted them to figure out what the passwords for this person's personal Facebook account were. Now that's not I don't see how that's remotely legal. But the point is it's being I know that's done. not legal. They asked they genuinely asked this person who works in HR and the HR person said, absolutely not. This person doesn't do anything with social media anyway. Doesn't have her own account or you like she completely stays away from it. But she was just like absolutely not. You want to talk about a violation. However, how many other companies are going to go ahead and comply with that? Don't put things on the internet that you don't want yeah. well, everybody to see. Right. 
And a hiring manager or recruiter, it doesn't take very long to look up posts on Facebook mm-hmm. or any other social media site yeah. when you're filtering uh, people. So the same thing is true. I mean, you're gonna you're you're putting your best foot forward. You want to portray yourself as a professional. And you want to be taken seriously. Uh, yeah, so definitely here. having the separate accounts is a good thing. But when you get into the Facebook side of it, just don't post inappropriate things. I know that people think, well, it's just me. That's who I am. Great. But if you're a business, you've got to be held to a different standard. You have to look at it a lot differently. And that doesn't mean you can't show your personality. I post photos of my dogs being adorable because, you know, that's what they do all the time. Um, things like that are okay. But when yeah. I'm mad at a family member it is sure as heck not going to be posted on Facebook. No, we just talk about it on the podcast here. (laughs) (laughs) That's more fun. All right. Okay, so the next question comes from Bill, who writes, how do I decide what direction to take my art? I'm not about to put my face out there on YouTube, but I do want to get my work into galleries. I might want to make online prints available and sell originals. I would like to get an agent to help me. How do I find one? I guess what I'm asking is, how do I think of this as a career and still make time for my day job and raise a family? Oh man. There's so Bill, many Bill, things Bill, on Bill, this Bill. one. There is. Where to begin? And yeah. Exactly. So let's start. Okay. You don't want to make you don't want to put your face on there out there on YouTube. I do want to ask why. That is one of the best ways to get yourself known as an artist. I mean, you don't have, it, it's I, that, I, I say funny. this all the time. It's, but, it's hard for you to understand that, but that, that is an intimidating oh, thing. Oh, I get for a lot that it's scary. Yeah, and it was scary yeah, for me. Yeah. I still, it's scary for me, some of the stuff people <laughs> say to me. But right, if you're right. trying to actually make a living of, out of this, you really try to get over that fear of YouTube because there always, are, gosh, yeah. it, it made all the difference in my personal career. And it's made all I the talk- difference in a lot of others, too. And, and I and I hold you up as an example often uh, in emails to people when I talk to them. Uh, you know, here. Good. So here's the thing, people. Here, here's the thing about it. You do have to differentiate yourself just a little bit. I I believe this is my personal opinion. When you when you look around, okay, and you you say, okay, I'm going to make this a viable art career path and or a second career path, whatever it is. But I'm going to figure out how to make this work. If you look around at other artists and see what they're doing, honestly, there are relatively few who are really making it with their art as a career. And I think a lot of that has to do with mindset, but it's work ethic. Do they have what it takes to differentiate themselves and to do something that others aren't necessarily going to do, want to do, are going to develop into doing because people don't want to put themselves in vulnerable positions. And there's no other way to say that. But that's what I noticed. I started looking around. I thought, who else is making videos just left and right like Lisa is? And I was very impressed with that. Um, she was willing to do that and to be so consistent at it and to, to produce these things at a high quality level as well. How many artists are podcasting? I didn't see very many doing that. I would encourage anyone to do YouTube uh, videos. Do a podcast. It's not that difficult. Who the artist is is as much to do with the getting a sale as what the artwork looks like. People yeah. are not just buying your art because they like your art. They're buying their art because they like you. What better way to let them get to know you than through a video or, you know, let your personality show. And okay, I'm going to be realistic. I had a hard time with that for many years. I was on YouTube for years before I, I felt comfortable enough to act like myself and 
there seemed to be a stick stuck somewhere very uncomfortable in my earlier videos. But it, it you know, it took some practice. But now people know who I am. People are comfortable buying from me online, and I'm able to sell some of my more expensive works online without them having seen it in person because they've I've developed that relationship with people through these videos where they trust me. They they know that I'm not, you know, just a scam artist who's going to take their money and they're not going to get their artwork. These things make a big difference in getting yeah. sales, letting people see who you are. And YouTube is one of the best ways to do that. Right. I love that. And it, it's putting your personality out there, letting people know who you are, uh, to your point. But when you look around, how many artists are willing to do that? That's what I'm trying to say is that is a way to dif just differentiate yourself. Exactly. How many are willing to do their own PR work instead of hiring someone to do their PR work? You make a lot more money if you do your own PR work. How many are willing to contact galleries and to uh, uh, maybe uh, enter into uh, private commissions or do shows by themselves, do classes uh, online or offline. How many people are willing to post in-progress videos or do training videos or how many are willing to write a book or publish a book even themselves yeah. even publish, do self-publishing. You can keep more of the money when you do that. How many people are willing to create an email list and then feed their list, give them good tips and tools and, and talk to them and, and engage with people. How many people are willing to go to local art organizations, maybe even do some speaking engagements with local art organizations? How many people, how many artists are willing to submit articles to magazines or do guest posting on blogs? How many artists are even willing to blog? And how many artists... But it all comes down to the it, same thing in the you end. You don't have this to do it all, though, here. either. Yeah, you yeah. take a few things and, and focus on those few things. You don't have to do everything John just listed. I no, went, took a tea not, break while he was listing the, that one out. But, I did, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, well, the other thing about it is, and we've talked about this in the past as well, Lisa, but how many artists are even willing to improve on their art yeah. and to have a discipline of drawing, deciding, okay, 20 minutes a day, whether I feel like it or not, I am going to draw. How many artists are even willing to listen to criticism? Uh, that will help you improve from time to time. And so many artists don't ever want to hear anything that would be slightly even negative. How many are willing to do that? How many are willing to partner with someone else? Hardly anyone is the answer. Hardly anyone. Mm -hmm. And if you differentiate yourself just by doing one or more of those things, like Lisa was saying, you really are putting yourself head and shoulders above the crowd when you do that. Yeah. So now you asked, you do want to get, or you commented, you do want to get your work into galleries. You don't have to be on YouTube to get your work into galleries. It helps. It, it's a lot easier for me now. And it's funny. I will say people take me way more seriously because of who I am and what I do on YouTube than they did before. Even though my work is, I mean, it's improved some for sure over the years, but I mean, it's not that big of a difference, but because of getting the YouTube side going. Now when I go into galleries and people ask who I am and I can say, look, these are my numbers. I've got 91,000 subscribers. I've got, you know, wow. this many people. That is so impressive. Yeah, I've got 19,000 people or 17, I don't even remember what it is, on Facebook. I've got this huge following. Galleries are going to take me more seriously and it's going to be easier for me to get my work in with them. I dropped off some artwork over at the Frisco City Hall and the difference 
is huge over what it was when I first started painting and I would go into art shows and, and drop off my work. People were fairly rude to me. I was younger at the time, but the women that would take my artwork, I, I was always surprised at how unfriendly they were with me. That is not the case anymore. Now that people know that I'm serious about what I'm doing and they can see that based on what I'm doing just through YouTube alone or through any of my other social media channels, I people just take me ser- more seriously. It's easier for me to get my work into any gallery. You know, when I contact a gallery and say, these are my numbers, this is what I do, they're more willing to talk to me than somebody who has no following, who no one knows who they are yet. So it does aid in getting into galleries. Now, that's not to say you've got to do that to get into galleries. Just contact, start contacting the galleries you're interested in. Now, when you do start doing this, do your research. Don't go find a gallery who's selling work of mostly Western-style things that are selling for, you know, 20000 30000 There's a gallery over here that's amazing and Grapevine who has that. But anyway, you wouldn't want to take your surreal work into there and waste your time and theirs trying to get your artwork into that gallery. That's not what they do. Do your research. Make sure that you're finding galleries that are displaying work that is comparable to what you're doing. Now, for selling online prints and originals, you can do that on your own. That's not a problem. But again, if you've got that social media following, it's going to be a lot easier to get those sales. Getting Mm -hmm. people to, whether it be prints, like I sell stuff through Fine Art America. People don't find me on through Fine Art America usually. They find me because I've linked them to the Fine Art America, to my prints. So that's where I'm getting the sales there. The same thing with originals. People know who I am because of YouTube and they're comfortable buying from me. Now, you said you wanted to get an agent to help you. I don't know if that's the best step. I've not heard of anyone who I personally know who had really good a good relationship with an agent taking over. You're basically paying someone to do something that it's better that you do yourself. And I, I mean, that's if you're just not what com- I've seen. well, I, I see what he's saying. But if if I mean, if you're not comfortable with that, or you don't, you feel like you don't know it, you can't learn it, or something, you can learn it. I believe. But yeah, I I don't know. I I just. Lisa and I are both of the opinion you you can learn this. I, I think I think you probably can. And as I, far I as wanna... how to find one, here's mm. my better question: How do you find one you can trust? That's going to be the problem. Anybody who, I mean, if you're paying an agent, you have to pay them. I don't know where you're at or how many paintings you're sell, selling, mm-hmm. but are you going to be selling enough to make it worth their time to where if they're getting a commission? I mean, there's a lot involved in this, and usually those who are going to get agents are going to wait until they're way further out in their career than earlier on getting started. If you're in a place where you're asking how to think of this as a career and still make time for your day job, you're probably not in a place where you need an agent to help you because you're probably not producing enough artwork to pay him enough to take you seriously to where he's doing the job that you're hoping for him to do, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, it just wouldn't be cost-effective. You're, you're probably right about that, I'm sure, because, yeah, you've got to get a good body of work under your belt first. I wanted to speak for just a moment about what you said there in your in your last part of your uh, sentence. I can totally relate to that. I do have a day job. It takes up a lot of my time, <laughs> a lot, and a lot of mental energy. I'm a big problem solver by day and I'm mentally exhausted when I come home and I spend a lot of time there at the office um, and I'm responsible for a lot of different different things and some of it can weigh very heavily on me uh, but okay so here's the thing I know what it's like um, I can totally relate to what you're talking about in raising a family and you feel like you don't ever have enough time here 
I, I just want to get run through a, a few quick tips then to give you and to encourage you to do this. You can do this. I think you can do this. Here's what I would suggest. Friday night, work for about an hour, maybe, maybe two if you can squeeze it out. But just whatever it is, just be dedicated to it and post it on your door, on your studio door or wherever you need to do it. And just say, let your family communicate with your family. Let them know okay, I need to take an hour or two. And I'm kind of running through what, what I kind of do. So um, hopefully this will help. I hope it does. Okay, so don't give up your Friday night. You still need some time. You need downtime to relax. You need to be feeling rejuvenated whenever you approach your art business. But then Saturday morning, decide, dedicate yourself to Saturday morning. Say, I'm going to get up several hours earlier than I used to. And so get up early in the morning, about 6.30 or 7 on Saturday, and then you start your day and you let your family know, I need four hours, maybe six hours, maybe eight at the beginning, whatever it is, especially if you're preparing for a show or you want to get a good body of work uh, under your belt, then you know you, you may need to spend more time. You say, I need that time. Uh, maybe you need to go to a coffee shop or something like that. I often do that. And uh, if you're working on something that can be that can be done away from home and you, you just dedicate that time and be religious about it and say, this is sacrosanct. I'm going to do this no matter what. And then on Sunday, dedicate about three hours in the afternoon. Take it a little lighter, maybe on Sunday. Do whatever you need to do. You know, Sunday morning, you need to relax a little bit. Maybe then maybe you go to church. Maybe you have family time. You know, you don't have to give up all of your downtime, but. You know, work about three to four hours again, maybe in the afternoon, maybe one to four. That's what I do, one to four. And then by Monday night, you may have a few things left over. And when you when you come home, you can say, okay, I'm going to do 30 minutes, maybe an hour. You know, I'm being flexible about these times, but I'm trying to give some guidelines. You can do this. And I know the ache and I know the pain of spending precious time away from your family, especially if you have if you, if you have children, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, I, I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. feels like you can't ever get that time back. And and your heart aches because they're growing up and you're not, you only have a little bit of time with them and you want to spend a lot of time with them. I, I get it. I get it. I understand that feeling so much, but you can do this. I believe you can do it. I've seen it done. I'm doing it and others uh, uh, can do it as well. That is great advice. All right, so Susie writes, how do you decide where to start with colored pencil? If I'm doing a pet, should I start with the background first or with the eyes? What do you think, Lisa? I think that this is one of the things that I love so much about colored pencil. I can start anywhere I want, and anywhere it doesn't want. really matter. I usually will start with my darkest areas, and normally on the left-hand side of the paper because I'm right-handed, but even like the there's a lion that I'm currently working on. I started with his eye. That was what I was in the mood to draw that day. Um, with with colored pencil, <laughs> yeah. you can start anywhere. I do like to dark to block in some of the darks just so it's easier for me to judge my values. But really, that's a really flexible thing about this medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, personally, for me, and I don't do as near as many pets as as Lisa does. Obviously, she's so prolific. <laughs> but but when I do um, uh, commissions and portraits. Uh, and, and I have done some pets, but I like to start with the eyes on people, and pets are no different for me. I, just a personal preference because I like to see 
something that looks kind of like a, um, a completed drawing nearly whenever I, whenever I'm starting. But I've heard other artists say, oh, no, I always start with the background, that kind of thing. But uh, to your point, I mean, that's that's really awesome. Uh, what I like about it as well is that, you know, you can start anywhere. And yeah. It doesn't matter. And it depends on if I'm mix, doing mixed media, too. If I'm going to airbrush the background, oh, I'm going to yeah. do that first. I'm going to block out where, you know, use brisket or masking fluid, and I'm going to block out my subject, and I'm going to airbrush the background. A lot of times I will do the background first, just be, even if I'm doing all colored pencil, just because it's usually my least favorite part, and I just want to knock it out. I want to get it out of the way so that I don't end up rushing it later. The same thing like ears. I mm. don't like doing the inside of animals' ears. They're just tedious and it's a lot of stuff and then you're like, oh, I just worked that hard and all I did was an ear. Um, it seems less exciting than an eye, which is yeah. typically faster and easier, but anyway. And it's I've, fun. Yeah, you're yeah. right. The eyes are fun. Exactly. The ear is just like, it's an ear. <laughs> um, great. Mm. But I will usually get those things done first because if I wait till the – then this is just me. Everyone's going to be different. If I wait till the very end of the portrait, I'm going to be bored with it. I'm going to want to move on to something else, and I'm going to rush that section. If I can knock those out first with a piece that's of a, fresh in my that's head, interesting. I'm able – yeah, I, I feel like I do a better I job if I do that. those first. That makes sense. I The reason why I start with eyes other than just because I like them and I like something that looks like it's kind of completed a little bit is the other thing is I'm always scared I'm going to mess it up. And this this rarely happens. It, it has happened, but it rarely does. But I feel like if I do the eyes and I do them wrong, I can start over. <laughs> and I haven't got that much invested yet, you know. So it yeah, just that seems like sense, a real focal point so for me. Important. Yeah. Our next question says, I read in a recent colored pencil publication that if I shoot a reference photo shot with my cell phone, I should change it to HD. I cannot find any HD setting. Do you know how I would change that? Yeah, you would get a phone from about, oh, I want to say eight or nine years ago. And then you could probably change it to HD. Yeah, maybe, I guess. I don't I don't even remember <laughs> that kind of setting. That I'm sorry to laugh, but that is kind of comical to me. Um so the thing is, I don't I don't know. I don't know where why someone would write something like that. This person also talks about uh, that they're instructed to Google that or something, but so the thing about it is I don't know why they would say that. Actually, uh, I wouldn't do that, and I've heard other people say, well, turn on the HDR. That makes all the difference. Oh, well, no. It, it's not good to do that in in the uh, capture itself whenever you're taking the photo. I, If you want an HDR kind of look, then do that post-editing because I want to get as much information from the lens and from the photo that I'm taking up front, and then I can do whatever I want in post-editing and change that however yeah. I want to. And then you have the option. You're not forced into it because yeah. that's how you shot it. You may be familiar with the podcast that Lisa and I did recently where we talked about this specifically, and that was episode uh, 47, Taking Your Own Reference Photos. And we we hit this head on, and we talked about how you can use uh, your cell phone, and you can be quite successful at that with any, you know, most modern phones. Now, if you're using your flip phone, I think maybe we talked about that. Chances are it's not going to turn out, you know. Uh, I haven't seen many wedding photographers using a flip phone to take wedding shots so i haven't seen them using a cell phone either i've been to the south oh yeah i'm kidding <laughs> some of your leave your relatives i've just seen some photos no, where kidding. i'm like huh really <laughs> now one thing you want to do depending off. on the type of phone that you're using and the app that you're using for your phones do double check your mode i mean i'm not going to take a reference photo from somebody and use the like 
um, Samsung has what they call beauty lens or beauty something. When you take a photo of people, it makes the skin look smoother. I don't want that. I wouldn't do any, any of that. Yeah. I wouldn't do any just, of that. I just do it on auto and yeah. I'm good. But there are some modes that yeah, you can check with and it's going to depend on the phone that you're using, the the app that you're using. Yeah. But um There's some good photo there's some good uh photo apps that you can that you can shoot with. I'm most familiar with the ones on Android because I don't shoot with an iPhone. But there's some really good ones on the iPhone as well. Uh, but yeah, look at photo apps, and I'm not going to go through those. You can you can look back at session number 47, and we discuss that in detail. And if you look at the show notes, I have a ton of uh, links in there on all of the uh, photo apps and all the apps that I talked about. Lisa and I talked about uh, on that podcast. So I hope that's helpful for you. You guys can always check out the show notes over there at sharpenedartist.com/podcast. If you would like to continue the discussion, you can head on over to Facebook and post your question there in the Colored Pencil Podcast group. And if you would like to leave us a rating or a review, we would really appreciate that. You can do that. Unfortunately, you have to do that in the iTunes app, and it's a desktop app. And I know it's a pain, but that's where, that's where we have to do it for now anyway. Apple makes us do that. I want to end today with a quote. And that is from Scott Adams. He said, ideas are useless. Execution is everything. We will talk to you guys again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com. For you. <laughs> All right. I like how you gave me the long one. <laughs> Make my uh pro- my my uh, my 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 Facebook.